Since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping And I brought me some corn for papa The lights are turned way down low Let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I'll hate going out in the storm well, Christmas music for the audience there. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Jim Rooney. This is Toe the Rubber. Episode 385 today on the network. We just eclipsed our 60,000 fan base yesterday, so congratulations to our fans. We challenged you to get it before Christmas, and you got us up to 60,000 subscribers well in advance. So now we're going to re-challenge you. We want 61,000 by Christmas now. But uh, before we begin, I uh, want to thank Blackout Coffee as well. You get coffee this month and probably through 2024 on our pitching expert here, Jim Rooney. He's going to be paying for coffee for you. Uh, code J-A-M-E-R 20, all capital letters. Coffee's on Coach Rooney this month. Thanks, Coach, for that. We, we all appreciate it. And uh, go to checkout, use his code, and it'll it'll take care of you for as long as you want. And then I want to say a special th- thanks to our probably our most faithful listener, Ted Kubiak, our very first guest on the show, three-time world champion. If you have an opportunity to get a stocking stuffer for one of your baseball lovers, Old School is Ted's book, phenomenal read. Takes you through his time in baseball and gives you his perspective on the state of the game today. Also, how to field a ground ball, just as simple as it sounds. Uh, probably the most comprehensive fielding manual, instruction, anything I've seen in that regard. Uh, totally different than what you young guys are seeing on YouTube, thank God. Um, but I would just recommend both books for your Christmas baseball lover. Uh, they're both on my bookshelf, and we use them every day. So with that, Jim, welcome back to your show. Well, thank you, Dave. And hello, everybody. Gave you a little Dean Martin there. It'll get warmed up because it's, as you and I were talking about, we both are <clears throat> we're tucked into the Southeast. We probably get spoiled by a little bit more warm weather than our Northern listeners do. But uh, I woke up this morning and I immediately removed my studio into the room off the bedroom, which is closer to the fireplace than I usually sit out by my Carolina room. Uh, fancy names for all these rooms, which is just basically a room, but I can see the water from there. So uh, today I'm I'm tucked in in a room where I can't see the water. So I'll, I'll try to keep my, my good vibes flowing regardless. Sounds good. So what do you got for us today? Well, um, one of the things that popped up this week, I read a uh, pretty lengthy social media post. It was well thought out, well prepared, and extremely well written. But it presented to me part of the problem that we're experiencing in our uh, current day state of baseball in the current environment. The title of the post was Change My Mind. Pitching mechanics don't cause arm injuries. So right away, you know, if you want to say controversial, but, you know, you you take a look at that and you go, ooh, wait a second. Um, Let's read a little further. Now, evidently, this post received uh, over 120 comments and people were going back and forth and it was a pretty lively discussion. Uh, The individual's statements were based upon some research that he read, I guess. And it stated that um, pitching mechanics are not directly related to arm injuries. The 
number one culprit and main reason for arm injuries is fatigue. Now, that statement in itself is fine. Yes, fatigue is a huge contributor. Fatigue and workload is a huge contributor to uh, arm injuries. But the thought that we're going to eliminate proper throwing mechanics or, pro- or proper pitching delivery, uh, proper creation of force and control of force to the baseball from the equation entirely is uh, a little haphazard in, in my thoughts. Yeah, very few things pitching or in life operate in a vacuum like that. And, you know, if you want to deduce, we're, I think we're both fairly intelligent individuals where, you know, are we saying that if we're not tired, we don't get arm injuries? Or if we throw like, you know, the, the most god-awful pitching mechanics, yet we're rested, we won't get hurt. I think it's uh, – sometimes I wonder about these social media guys. I, I know it's made us probably – it's made us more interactive, uh, I guess, online anyway as a society. But I think it's made us less interactive in productive ways as a society because I, I think sometimes those people put those up there just to get clicks, get, get views and start conversation to enhance their profile. But I can't, I mean, but you said the guy had some backup research that he read, correct? Oh yeah. He, uh, well, it's a, it, at the end of his post, he, he, he linked, he put two links in there about uh, part one and part two on a blog. Um, I did not click on those links, but I'm thinking that it's his blog uh, that he posted this type of research. That was my next set question. Like, what is he selling? What's he? Yeah. Trying? Well, I think I think he continually makes social media posts and adds stuff to his blog, and he's trying to educate people on uh, proper arm care. And so, on a whole, his intentions are extremely good. Uh, but what happens in this, uh, you use the very good word vacuum. You see in the scientific community, you're trying to do scientific research. You're trying to prove something, um, using scientific method. You're going to attempt to reduce everything down to, uh, the variable you're looking at and you're going to try to eliminate. It's very similar to that discussion we've had about, uh, radar guns where all of a sudden, the technology for the radar gun is almost measuring the ball as it releasing the hand, which now we're going to eliminate all the environmental factors involved, you know, whether you're pitching in uh, Colorado or you're pitching uh, down in Miami uh, that affect the baseball. But the problem in, is that whenever I see these individuals attempting to make a point, they eliminate entirely the things that they can't wrap their mind around or have no vision to see. So I'll give you an example. Going back to the, uh, probably after Moneyball and everything, but uh, when uh, J.P. Ricciardi became the uh, general manager for the Toronto Blue Jays, of course, a lot of his... uh, his sales pitch to the individual who was overseeing the search uh, for Rogers communication who owned the club at the time uh, had a lot to do with saving money. Uh, 
I can do this with less scouts. I can do this with less uh, player development individuals. I can put a winner on this field for far less money than you're spending now. And that was basically the gist of of his proposals. Um, and one of the things that, w- that I found interesting at the time is the Blue Jays played on AstroTurf, artificial turf. So we all know the game on artificial turf, the game of baseball is a much faster game. Um, they played in a, in a stadium that the outfield was pretty expansive. So in order to compete in that environment, you're going to probably have to have some guys that can play defense, have good range, good athleticism, good running speed to cover all the ground in the outfield, and just be able to play defense. But in the analytic model that was being used at that time, even all the writings of Bill James, if you want to say the godfather of baseball uh, sabermetrics, stated that they hadn't come up with a defensive metric that could actually measure correctly uh, to add to you know, all of his logarithms and equations. Now, Bill James never stated, let's eliminate the defensive metric. Let's pretend as if defense is not important. He never stated that. He just said that at the current time, we don't have a measurement that he is fully confident in. Well, the Blue Jays just simply eliminated defense signed or traded for a whole bunch of hitters. Uh, Probably one that comes to mind, Matt Stairs, who basically is a designated hitter. And stuck him in the outfield, stuck him at first, stuck him at catcher, and uh, attempted to create a winning ball club. So now we're playing in a ballpark that defense really does matter because any ground ball in the alley in the outfield is, is going all the way to the wall. So if we can't play defense, if we don't have range, if we don't have athleticism, we're giving extra bases to the other team, which is contrary to how uh, analytics and the sabermetricians want the game to be played. It's about, you know, producing outs and reducing um, base runners. Um, so, all centered around on base average. So defensively or pitching wise, if you can lower the oppositions on base average, you're going to have a better chance to win. Conversely, hitting wise, if you increase on base average, you have a higher chance to win. Um, So because at that moment, we had the inability to see what a a defensive metric would be, the uh, Blue Jays basically eliminated it and I don't remember exactly the timeline around it, but within a two or three year period, they became a pretty bad baseball team, a losing team. And then uh, probably to save his own job and to move head in a positive direction, all of a sudden he started spending more money than the prior regime under Gord Ash did. But it gets us to this point of, uh, of this post. We, if we have the inability to see, if we, if we have the inability have the proper vision and understanding 
of what proper throwing mechanics are, well, let's just eliminate it. Why do we have to deal with it? Why do we have to think it's important? So we lessen its importance because we don't have the ability to see and properly understand what it is. And that's what you see a lot of in the, in the world of analytics. And the, you know, the post gets into the greatest cause is fatigue. But then in his explanation of fatigue, he says fatigue causes compensation. And those compensations change mechanics. Well, you said that pitching, pitching mechanics do not cause arm injuries. But the fatigue causes compensation, this individual's words, that change mechanics. Now, he states that this is different from poor or optimal mechanics because in his mind, there's no way to define that. So once again, I cannot define it, so I eliminate it or I lessen its importance. Uh, We're a species, you and I. And so, I mean, fatigue is is a factor, but it's not the factor. Correct. There's uh, many different variables that come into play here. Um, You know, a guy like uh, Will Carroll, the, the injury expert online, does a lot of work for the NFL, but in periods of time did a lot of work for Major League Baseball and he just studied all the different factors, what time of day, what time period of time in the year or deep into the season, how many innings did the pitcher have up till then. Uh, he measured fatigue. He measured workload. He measured environmental effects just to try to come up with, you know, why are we having all these elbow injuries or whatever injury or, or uh, situation that he chose. Um, Then the funny part was, is he states that, and this is where we get into a lot of, a lot of hot water in my, in my opinion, is obviously who's the name on everybody's mind right now in baseball? Otani. Otani. So let's throw Shohei Otani in this conversation. All right. He states many would argue that Otani is the best player ever with the best hitting and pitching mechanics ever seen. But he's had two Tommy Johns and missed a ton of time. So, first the statement. Many would argue, who who's the many? Is it you? Have you evaluated the mechanics? Have you done the proper analysis? Do you understand pitching mechanics to the point that you can say Otani has good mechanics or bad mechanics? It's not stated. However, I've seen Otani's pitching mechanics. And one, they're completely contrary to, in the past, Japanese-style pitchers and their deliveries, where there's uh, usually an increased amount of knee flexion on the land leg. Um, and a more upward, upright um, rotation of the trunk. In Otani, you see, and he's a big advocate of driveline, big advocate. In fact, when he signed with the Angels, 
they brought a driveline individual to be part of his uh, team of, uh, of experts. And, we, you know, we've all heard some of the stories in the past in professional baseball and others of, of what's happened in a lot of instances where driveline was involved, uh, namely injuries. Uh, so Otani has this, if you look at his uh, pitching delivery, he's got a little bit of that stick the front side in the ground, pole vault through the front hip, over, over the front hip, not through it, and really create a lot of torque and a little bit of recoil every now and then in the follow through. I would not say from watching him pitch that he'd have the type of pitching mechanics, pitching delivery that I would um, attempt to teach to other young players. You know, when we're looking, when you're looking at the injuries, you mentioned the word variable. There have got to be, I mean, there's countless variables. As you, we taught, you said weather, time of day, stadium, slope of mound, uh, in addition to mechanics and fatigue, the regression analysis that you'd have to put together would have so many regression points on it that, and, and forget the fact that you'd, you'd have to weight them based on each individual situation. This guy's, this guy's, uh, post sounds like he's putting a, you know, two plus two equals four in a, in a mathematical physics, uh, magazine and trying to be profound about it. It's, uh, it's so elementary and almost shouldn't even be addressed, uh, at all, but it looks, sounds like he, he, he did what he wanted to do. He got some posts, he got some views, got some people talking, anything intelligent on there that did you know, not to pull you off your phone. No, in fact, the, the, the post on a whole, I thought was very well done, very well done. It's just that when you talk about factors, okay, going back to my uh, strength training days, fatigue. If we try to break down exactly what muscular fatigue is, because it's the muscles that are moving the levers, so they're the ones that are getting fatigued. Um, now, it's a whole nother discussion as far as uh, a pitcher's proper aerobic base and the lack of running that's being done nowadays in those instances. But just the pure aspect of muscular fatigue. So in this post, we're talking about fatigue is the strongest risk predictor for injuries. There is, and you know, um, it's been a while since, I read the research and, and could give you all the characteristics, but I'm just going to throw arbitrary numbers out there. There's six or seven physical factors of fatigue. There's three or four mental factors or characteristics of fatigue. Since we're not hooking up pitchers or even people that are training in the gym to all types of uh, technology, EMGs, and et cetera, we don't really have, uh, we're not taking blood work and all this other stuff. We don't really have uh, the ability to say which factors are prominent in each individual. So to use fatigue as your strongest risk predictor, it, you know, it gets a little dicey there because what are the characteristics of fatigue that are taking place at this moment? What are the characteristics of fatigue that are taking place at that moment? Okay, somebody might be 
so mentally tough that they go right through all the uh, mental factors that produce fatigue. And basically, the, the production of fatigue, you know, besides being electrochemical and, and all those type of things, is um, it's the body's way of surviving. You know, you're, you're running, you're running long distance, you're working out. One of the factors that kicks in with fatigue is you might get a little lightheaded. You might get a little nauseous. Well, you're not going to die. Okay. That's the initial warning uh, system that the body uses to make an adjustment. All right. So fatigue, as we said, if you add them all up, 10, 11, 12 different characteristics, 12 different factors that come into play to try to give a definition to what fatigue is. And now we're basing uh, our post, this article on that it's the strongest risk factor. Well, then it's what aspect of fatigue? When does it fatigue? Are we talking about muscular fatigue? Now, he does go on to say that uh, later on in his post about lower body fatigue and other things that are related that, you know, he does have an understanding, but there's no detail because it doesn't help prove his point. Um, the thing about Otani, it, it, it reminds me of a, a situation I was in in the past when um, my first year as the pitching coordinator for the Brewers, um, you know, word got out that the new coordinator was in town. They asked me to move uh, to the Phoenix area. I did. Um, I then, the start of January, when I got back from uh, coaching winter ball in the Dominican, I was uh, at the facility, at the spring training facility in Phoenix, Maryvale, the Maryvale complex. And a lot of the young pitchers came to throw bullpens. Okay, one, because obviously quality facilities get to go work out, get ready for spring training. No brainer. But I think there was a little added um, influence of that. I would be there. I was brand new. Let's make a good impression to the new pitching coordinator and see where we stand. So there was a whole host of individuals, some that lived there year round, others that um, flew in and was staying somewhere locally to get ready for spring training. And it, it ranged from a lot of AAA guys like Chris Capuano, Derek Turnbow, Matt Wise, that all came over in the trade with the Angels, um, to younger guys. And one of them was a high school right-handed pitcher. He was probably at the time in his second year with the organization. He was drafted very high in the first round. Was... Uh, very good athlete, outstanding, um, outstanding body for a pitcher, everything that you would look for. And the thing that was commonly discussed at that time was he's, they rated him in the draft as having some of the best mechanics that they had seen in years. This guy, you know, he's a thing of beauty. Um, first time I watched him throw a bullpen, this is, uh, I believe January of 2004, possibly. 
um, throws a bullpen, and uh, everything is smooth. He's got rhythm and timing, okay? But as I'm watching, I'm, I'm noticed, I, I, I have a sense that there's a limitation in his front hip, so his land foot. There's an, a limitation in external, external rotation. Uh, and what that caused is his front foot would start to open. The hip would start to externally rotate before it hit the ground. And in some instances, a good six inches before it hit the ground. And when this happens, the whole weight is transferred to the front side too early. Now, he's not jumping out to his front side. It's not this hard, heavy type of thing because he's got good athleticism, good balance, good rhythm. But I see that there's something in there. So I asked the uh, medical coordinator, the head athletic trainer at the complex, if he could run some tests on his hip. And sure enough, he comes back a little while later and says, I don't know how you saw it, but he had a 25% deficit in external rotation. So we uh, got with the minor league strength coaches, developed a hip mobility program for him. And uh, next thing you know, all the nagging arm injuries that he had had, even though a lot of that wear and tear had already accumulated, um, he was able to progress. And eventually uh, he kind of reinvented himself and became a quality AAA pitcher. And if if the big club hadn't just acquired C.C. Sabathian, Zach Greinke, and, and, and needed a starter, I mean, he would have had an opportunity. Um, but my point in bringing him up, it's, it's like – it's like the guy who wrote the post about Otani. And for the sake of his argument, he's saying, people say this guy has some of the best pitching mechanics in the game. Well, that's not necessarily true all the time. And as we said, if we have the inability to see, if we have the inability to comprehend, if we have the inability to put a metric on uh, the factor we're in a habit nowadays to just simply eliminate it and think of it as a non-factor. Um, and I think that's a big mistake. Um, and it doesn't that's just it. happen in, in throwing mechanics or, or hitting mechanics or whether a guy gets injured or not. I mean, years back, I can tell you stories in the draft room that there'd be, there'd be discussions and arguments going on that we, can't take this high school right-handed pitcher because the numbers say that, uh, you know, a vast majority of them never make it to the big leagues. So we eliminate that whole uh, group of individuals from our draft process high in, high in the draft. And I do realize what the numbers say, but the numbers are based upon a large amount of organizations that were not very good at developing young pitchers. So because we're not good at something, we're going to eliminate it. And that I think is where you get into trouble because you start this downward spiral where if we're not good at something, we're not going to work to improve it. We're just going to eliminate it. Well, eventually you're going to eliminate most most stuff that you got on your table. And then, then where do you go? Um, so those were some of the things um, 
we're going to revisit anti-rotation here in a bit, but uh, probably we're going to close today. We're going to come back to this because if we're an organization, if we're a team, if we're a coach, even if we're a parent, and we slowly just eliminate different factors that we don't comprehend or we don't have the ability to see, and we do not work on correcting the problem, let's say developing high school pitchers, and we simply eliminate it, we're not really showing much grip or perseverance in our ability to solve problems. Uh, and we'll, we'll close on some of those factors a little bit. You, you hit on a good point, though, Jim. I, and I, I think a lot of our, our audience, our audience is very, very smart. And when I'm corresponding back and forth with them, I always come back to one word. Um, and again, not to oversimplify like our, our social media guy did, but the audience, you're, you're always seeking for the truth. That's what I ask you guys. When you, when, even when we say stuff, do your own homework, seek for the truth. And I had to define it for somebody yesterday. They're like, what is the truth? And I think they wanted it as it pertains to the subject. And I said, you know, when, when you're looking for the truth, it's, it's what, what I say or when what Jim says or any of our hosts say, and we have reality to back it up. So flip that around when they're, when they're on social media, reading guys like you're talking about, um, you know, look, look for the truth. And it's, it's when you can see reality backing up, just like you pointed out with Otani. The guy threw it out there. I bet you 999,000 people walked away preaching that Otani had the best mechanics of their buddy at work that day instead of looking for the truth like you pointed out in in a very short period of time. So I, I didn't mean to digress, but uh, I, I thought that's important because you, you speak in facts, you speak in science, you speak in experience, you speak in the truth. And I, I want to encourage our audience to do the same thing. Well, sometimes, especially when it concerns social media, all right. Um, you have to have the ability to read between the lines. You know, we do understand that people are attempting to make points and to prove their way of doing something is correct. And you just have to decipher, read between the lines of what is actually being said here or where is the proof of this? Um, you know, um, Well, the truth, the truth is based upon each individual. Like their truth of how they should do things is based upon how their mind works, how their mind processes the information, and how their body and their natural athleticism accomplishes things. Um... I know in the past we'd throw out that term cookie cutter. It, it, it's each individual has to decipher what's best for them. Now, that is not easy, you know, especially if you're a parent of a young player or a young player trying to navigate through all of the information, almost information overload, uh, and take yourself away from being in the flow and feeling what you're doing. Because that old analogy I use with the young guys, um, you didn't learn to eat ice cream and get it all in your mouth uh, as you went from a toddler to a 10, 11, 12-year-old 
by your mom or dad or anyone else standing behind you with an instruction manual. You learned how to get more of that ice cream in your mouth because it tastes good. Because you were part of the process, it tastes good, and then the body attempted to repeat and be successful because the ice cream tastes good. I want to get more of it in my mouth. It's the same with uh, pitching mechanics, hitting mechanics. It's the same with fielding a baseball. It, it's it's the underlying factor that is the most important aspect of learning the game of baseball. It feels good. If you're part of the process and you understand how it feels and you can process the feel of what you're doing, your body will repeat it. If you make solid hard contact and you drive the ball over the fence, that feeling is pure joy. You know exactly what it feels like at the point of contact. Instead of trying to analyze what you did, if you attempt to just repeat how you felt, you'll be way better off in the long run. Because that's how the, this game of baseball is supposed to be played. Um, and that gets us back to, uh, we previously discussed the, the concept of anti-rotation. It was a term that I came across and, and uh, you know, still I'm going to say that I, I think it's a, a phenomenal way to quickly explain the things that uh, we've been working on, um, you know, especially with young, the development of young baseball players. We've stated many times over that um, I don't like to do any rotational type activities as far as resistance exercises or creation of force. Uh, if we were to use the age of like under 14. Now we know chronological age, skeletal age, muscular maturation, those are all come into the picture when we're deciphering, you know, who should do rotational work and who shouldn't. But the, uh, the importance of that is, is tremendous, whether it's your uh, age of your skeletal system, uh, your growth plates, whether they're closed or not closed, uh, your joint stability, uh, whether the muscles can stay stable in order to produce the proper balance and posture of what you're trying to do. These are all key factors in the development of a young player. So we use an example of a hitter who cre creates a tremendous amount of bat speed, but cannot control that bat speed. So the bat starts swinging him, and at the point of contact, there's bad posture, bad balance, and then it's going to reduce the ability to create hard contact. Um, and since we're not focused on rotation with the younger age groups, the development of power all is based upon hard contact, you know, or as a as the uh, Blast bat analyzer, blast motion uses the term connection. Um, so we spoke of, as our conversation last week, Jeff Pentland not working with anybody under the age of 14 or 15. Yeah. I completely understand his reasons um, and everything that goes into it. Because if we think about we use the analogy of uh, we're not going to train a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old how to pitch in a game like 42-year-old Roger Clemens. Now, that's an extreme example. But 
let's get into uh, the swing. Hitting. If we are attempting to create a whole bunch of bat speed, a whole bunch of hip shoulder separation, we're really working hard on increased upper body acceleration through the zone. With a 10-year-old, we've got the cart way ahead of the horse. The most important aspect for the young hitters is the direct line their hands take to the baseball. So the first thing to work on in all young hitters are hands. Now, we have all the old phrases of hands inside the baseball and all that type of thing. The importance is hands. Hands, hand speed. All right? That's why it's things like we talk about pepper being an important drill for kids because it's a it's not a it's not a full swing. It's a it's a controlled lighter swing to just make contact downward angle. Um, what what are some other things kids can do for hands? Well, one of the greatest drills that I think help young hitters um, is T work. But we do understand something: the natural tendency of young ball players when they first start to learn how to work off a batting tee is that they attempt because the ball is stationary to overcreate force, to wind up, to reach back, to over rotate because they still have the ability to hit the ball. And then they think they're hitting it harder. They are, but for all the wrong reasons. So I can remember back to, um, watching Cal Ripken Jr., whether it's taking batting practice, doing tee work, hitting in games. And for people that remember watching Cal hit, you could even pick it up on television watching the game, is sometimes he'd have his hands a little higher than the shoulders. Sometimes he has his hands lower. Sometimes he'd be standing straight up. Sometimes he'd be crouched. He was continually adjusting and adapting, uh, depending upon, um, not for me to attempt to put words in his mouth, but depending upon how he felt, uh, where they were in the season, uh, what was his fatigue level. Remember, this is the uh, modern-day iron horse. The guy never, never took a day off. So he made adjustments in his swing where his hands started. Now, his swing was always the same, shoulder to shoulder. Right, just as Ted Williams states, uh, stated in his uh, Art of Hitting book, uh, which is a, a you know a classic masterpiece. Um, I, I I don't even know if it's still in publication, but it should be so that young hitters and young coaches and parents could get a read and understand what hitting really is all about. But Ted Williams stated the bat goes down into the hitting zone and then out up out of the hitting zone. So basically, you're going from the top of your back shoulder to the front of your back shoulder. Like a pendulum. Yeah, but it's down through. And in essence, then, the bat path, the swing path, is you're looking for the bat to get into the zone behind the ball, get through the ball, and enter the zone 
out front, all right? But what you see in a lot of young hitters, especially because they learn how to do their tee work improperly, is you see a lot of over-rotation and a lot of emphasis on upper body acceleration. And they attempt because their hands aren't strong enough yet to create a lot of force with their shoulders. With that, they get under or around the ball. Yes. Okay. The other thing that happens is that, you know, we went through that period of time in baseball development that everybody talked about hip shoulder separation, hip shoulder separation. Well, in order to have proper hip shoulder separation and be under control of that force you create by that, that added torque, um, All those factors that we talked about for young players uh, have to be in effect. They're not old enough. They're not strong enough. Their skeletal system isn't ready for it. We're not focused on rotational type activities. So once again, we're putting the cart in front of the horse. We've got to get back to teaching proper swing path and the proper movement of the hands. The front hand is your direction. The top hand is your power. They do two different things but they work in unison, right? I love a, I love a drill that I started using where um, a, pe- a person stands in their, in their batting stance holding, a, let's say, a basketball, soccer ball, kickball, physio ball, basketball, whatever, whatever they have. And they put their hands up at the start of their trigger position in their swing, and then through trunk rotation – they turn the body down through the swing path, shoulder to shoulder. And the beauty of this for me is that if they reach back too far in their trigger position, they're going to drop the ball. If the front side goes too early because of hip-shoulder separation and the front shoulder goes with the front hip, they're going to drop the ball. So it kind of teaches in a nice controlled pattern how the front side and the back side works together. And it, you can do the same thing in, in, the, in the, throwing, um, the throwing mechanic also. You're just trying to teach the front side and the back side to work together in unison, even though they're doing two different things. Um, so when you do your T work, you just think back at Cal Ripken when he looked as if in a game he was resting the bat off the back top shoulder. He was just resting it there, and it was kind of flat. He had already gotten into the position of early connection to get the bat down through the zone, all right? Um, So you take Cal in that position when he would hit using that type of stance, and then you take a Kari Stremski or Craig Council with the really extremely high hands. But when Yaz or Craig Council – started accelerating forward to the baseball, that bat basically got in the same position that Cal was starting in. So for me, it's a phenomenal drill for young players doing their tee work or even taking batting practice to take some swings when they feel like they're getting a little out of whack with their swing path, to take some swings and, and just focus on back shoulder to front shoulder, back shoulder to front shoulder, right? and then incorporate their normal hand position, but understand that as they go to accelerate forward stride, right, that bat has to get into that 
same position in order to get down through the zone. So in uh, blast motion technology, we're talking about early connection, all right? Get the bat into the hitting zone. Um, once, we've, once we've developed that, that efficient movement pattern and, uh, and we're not over-rotating, okay? We get back to the anti-rotation. Um, we're not over-rotating because the hands are getting to the ball. Our shoulders, especially the front side, is our direction to the ball. Um, that front arm, it's almost like you're backhanding, backhand in tennis. You're smacking, you're smacking down and through the ball. And then that top hand at the point of contact, the palm is pretty much still, uh, facing the sky. And then after contact, it rolls over and finishes the swing. That's where the power gets added. Um, the second part then is that we've, improved our hands to the ball, our swing path. And this is where I find it's it's very important for the younger player is connection, connection at contact, being in the proper position as far as uh, balance and posture. When we're there, the bat and our hands are close to the media in the middle of our body, and that's the strongest we're going to be. And that's where the development of power comes in the young baseball player. And those should be the two focus. Okay. If we move too quickly into the third parameter rotation, we haven't perfected any of the first two. Um, You're that far out, Jim. And I know you've got a strong, you've got a unique background. You've got a background, not just in pitching and in baseball, but in, in, uh, as a, as a strength coach and biomechanics and kinesiology, you've got it all wrapped into one. When, when guys are in that third phase, <clears throat> that leak of energy, um, that prevents the power. And you see a lot of these guys trying to get out in front too early, too early. That eliminates power, correct? You're leaking energy, basically. Correct. You see, when, when we, through our development, if we've, <clears throat> if we've really worked hard, on the first two, the swing path, and then the connectiveness, uh, you know, at contact, hard contact. So basically that's the quality swing path with hand speed through the zone and proper balance and posture at contact, right? If we've worked hard on those things, and not that we've perfected it, but we've gotten pretty good, as our body matures physically and we now can move into the area of resistance type activities through trunk rotation, through rotation, um, specifically upper body acceleration through the, through the hitting zone. We've created that anti-rotation, the stable platforms using the first two characteristics of the swing path and connectiveness at contact. And now we add the rotation. But just like in throwing, if we attempt to add the rotation before we have the stable platforms, the efficiency of getting that force to the baseball, whether we're hitting it or throwing it, is not gonna, it's not going to work. Okay? Um, just like a pitcher that has to maintain spinal stability and scapular stability through the driveline, that front foot's got to get down. We have to get through and then rotate. You're almost rotating after 
at the point of release. So what happens is in a throwing mechanism, similar to the hitting mechanism, is if we get too fast to the front side and the front shoulder starts going with that front hip and we start the rotation process before the bat is to the ball, okay, before the hands have have gotten the bat into the hitting zone, we're going to be pulling off it. We're going to be getting around it. There's no way that our hands stay inside the ball. And a lot of times we're going to be rolling over on stuff because the backhand says, wow, my body's in this position. My hand should be in this position. And that's the classic rollover. You know, left-handed batter hits that nice two hopper to second base. Um, and finally, the last point of today, okay, when we, when we talk about um, – well, just to summarize a little bit from the from the two things of the hitting path, those first two aspects, swing path and connectiveness at contact, right? Getting into the zone, having the proper uh, balance and posture at contact. All players can now benefit through all the concepts of anti-rotation that we've spoke about last week from the exercises with kettlebells to resistance bands. Um, I will uh, attempt to post this week some examples of anti-rotational drills uh, that can be done. Um, But getting back to uh, the post and some of the things that we see, even in learning for a young ball player to have patience and work on their hands first, work on their stability, work on their anti-rotation, all right? We want to jump into the the rotational aspects of throwing a baseball and hitting a baseball way too soon in our development because, you know, that's, that's where power comes from. That's how we throw harder. That's how we hit it farther. That's what we want, you know, the immediate gratification. It brings up the concept that I've been reading a lot about the past couple of weeks, uh, grit, perseverance. Way back during my coordinator days, we used to have uh, different psychological assessments for players, and they were designed to um, they were designed to let the player and the coach have a better idea how that how that player uh, processed information and how they learned. Um, I thought it was a very, very valuable uh, information to have, you know, during the teaching process, uh, the instructing process. But the longer you stayed in the game, the more the uh, athletic performance uh, individuals, which is what baseball likes to call them, um, started getting into these areas of perseverance and even named it grit. Now, I do know that it also coincided with a lot of uh, current research on the matter. Um, I will post some uh, some really good uh, people who've given TED Talks and even written books on the topic. Um, but perseverance or grit, right? We're, gonna, we're talking about being resilient, being determined being passionate, having self-discipline, and optimism. So in the past, we've talked a lot about flow and two factors of 
that help create the flow is focusing on the task at hand and receiving ultimate joy by being able to participate in that task, which then increases your focus. And this is where it goes hand in hand in my book with with grit, with perseverance, is the passion is the key. The passion and the optimism, right? In in positive psychology nowadays, they they talk about um, growth potential. When we see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, it, it fuels even more of our passion, more of our joy. And then the things like resiliency, determination, self-discipline become much, much easier to manage. Um, during the process of learning baseball, learning how to play the game of baseball, flow and grit, in my opinion, work hand in hand to help us either overcome or learn how to do things the proper way and not necessarily just jump into that immediate gratification mode, um, which has us jumping ahead and attempting to work on things or learn different skills that should be targeted for when we're 15 or 16 or when we're 18 or 19 or when, when we're early, our early 20s. Um, you go back to, uh, for example, uh, pitchers used to do a lot of running. And uh, all the science comes out and we say uh, very rarely does uh, the pitcher have to um, have that amount of uh, aerobic base to participate in the game of baseball. Well, I agree with that. However, if we don't have a proper aerobic base, all the other uh, physiological factors in either anaerobic respiration and all the explosive type activities that go do go on uh, baseball aren't going to work as efficiently. Um, we used to measure athletes by uh, VO2 max, their ability to get oxygen to the muscles. Okay. Um, if we improve that, Okay, we're going to improve all aspects. But what we do is we jump very quickly into um, different training protocols that aren't proper for the different age groups. Um, And that's why even a simple conversation about a hitting mechanic shows us that in our youth development, we're jumping ahead and we're attempting to work on things when we haven't produce that proper, using the term aerobic base. We haven't produced that proper foundation. We haven't shown the ability to anti-rotate. We haven't shown the ability to have stable platforms in which to rotate around. If we don't have those stable platforms, if we don't have the stability in the joints, all right, once we introduce the advanced training mechanisms to produce force through rotation, It's not going to be successful. Um, So it's funny how sometimes the way my mind works that, you know, I read a post about pitching mechanics don't cause arm injuries and then it just fires up all these thoughts. But uh, basically it's something that I cannot uh, stress enough. Um, We should train all our young players with age appropriate, develop a plan, I, I read something the other day about, you know, annual plans and, and, and I agree with it, you know, 
but let's make sure that the foundation is correct before we get into the uh, the development of power and all the fun stuff that that brings. No, I think great, great points. And our audience it, it got a ton out of this. I, I, I think a, a theme that social media drives often is, you know, there's such an inertia for success, immediate success out there, instant success that development's being lost. So your, your, your reading of the post and, where it took your mind couldn't be more appropriate for this time of year. So no, I appreciate it. It was great. Uh, and that's a great way to leave our audience. That That's a good wrap, you think, for them? Yes, I, I think we're good for this week. Um, as always, you can contact me through my website, RooneyBaseball.com, or the Facebook page, uh, at Rooney Baseball. Um, for everybody who's local, um, Please, if you uh, are interested, contact me about the upcoming um, group training to get ready for the next season. That's going to happen in uh, January. You also can see some information at nextlevelkids.com, the facility I work out of. And uh, hopefully we can lay that proper foundation and uh, move ahead in a healthy, productive manner. I would take advantage of that audience to be around. I wish you were closer to me, Jim. I'd be dropping my two boys off every day to be around you. And our audience knows me. I'm very particular about uh, the, the teachers, the instructors. It doesn't matter what it is that I'll put my children in front of. Uh, th- th- this is one of the handful of guys that I'd, I'd leave them with them all day long with Jim Rooney. So if you're up in that area, I'd take advantage of it. You've got a gym up there if you don't know it already. So, But Jim, thanks so much. I mean, episode 385 was, was incredible. I just hope somebody doesn't post up their hips don't matter. Uh, next week because <laughs> we're going to go off on them big time. And, yeah, that, would, that might be a little, we might get a little excited on that one. <laughs> I may have to do a ghost account just to get you fired up on your our last one before Christmas. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Blackout Coffee, make sure coffee's on, on, on Coach Rooney this month and through 2024, J-A-M-E-R, all caps, number 20. We'll get you 20% off at checkout. Take a look at Ted Kubiak's books, Old School and How to Field a Ground Ball, great stocking stuffers for your baseball lover. And we're waiting on uh, Jim's book to come out, hopefully in the new year. We'll, we'll make sure we promote that and try to get that as large an audience as, as we possibly can. So, Jim, thanks so much for a great episode today. Always a pleasure to, to do one with you. It's uh, I get smarter every time, and I love when I get smarter. So thank you for that. I appreciate you. Well, thank you, Dave. And uh, thank you, audience, for uh, paying attention and listening. I appreciate it. Close to 61,000 into the new challenge for the audience. You guys know what to do. And we'll see you next week, our last week before the holiday. Finally, kiss goodnight. How I hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. And the fire is slowly dying. And my dear, we're still goodbye. But as long as you'd love me so, let it snow, let it snow and snow.